This is the Registry Report, where we look at news, analysis, and advocacy for rational change in our country's sex offender registry laws. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. I'm just glad to have you here listening to the Registry Report podcast. We're going to try and put out an episode each week, and we hope to cover some topics that you might not have heard much about up until now. My name is Michael, and today we're going to talk about registry reform advocacy and what you can do to help further the cause. I chose this topic for our first podcast mainly because it's top of mind for me, as I just put the finishing touches on my opinion piece of the same topic, which you can check out on registryreport.org or at narsal.org. I should probably start this off by saying that there are different kinds of advocacy, and as Mary DeVoy, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Mary, Mary DeVoy reminded me yesterday, the things we're talking about today are general ideas and rules of thumb for how to conduct yourself in social media and in your day-to-day interactions with other people. So let's just agree to call that Advocacy 101. This is a very basic level discussion. Mary's expertise is in legislative advocacy, which is far more effective at effecting change, but it requires what I would consider to be a much more sophisticated level of effort and skills. And we'll definitely talk about legislative advocacy in the future, and frankly, I'll be learning right along with you when we do. Maybe we can even get Mary to be a guest on the podcast and give us the benefit of her experience and knowledge, which are extensive. So let me tell you about how I became a full-time advocate for criminal justice and registry reform. And frankly, my decision to do so was not an easy one. When I was arrested, the news media took whatever they could find about me online and they ran with it. They exercised complete and total disregard for the source or validity of their information. At one point, they actually published the photos of over a dozen of my professional associates, some of whom I'd never even met, and asserted that they were all members of my sex cult. Anyone unfortunate enough to have been associated with me, whether it was in business or socially, was instantly branded as a probable co-conspirator, cult member, or sex trafficker. During my incarceration, my family and friends were targeted with all kinds of harassment, vandalism, and even death threats. So, given that backstory, you can probably imagine my family's reaction when I announced that I was about to become a very public advocate for changing how the judicial system and society deal with sex crimes, victims, and offenders. They freaked out. But honestly, this was something I really, really needed to do. I've never been one of those people who can sit back and let life dictate to me how things ought to be. My, albeit short, stay in federal prison left me desperately needing to feel in charge of my own destiny again. And because of what I've been through, I think maybe I can contribute to the national discussion in ways that I hope are insightful and based on real experiences rather than conjecture, ideology, someone's notions of what the system is like. I've been there. I've seen it. I know what it's like. The fact that I have a lot of experience in writing, politics, and public relations is just going to be icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. 
Now I'm telling you all of this background so that you understand how badly I needed to assure my family and friends that I would be doing everything possible to prevent them from becoming collateral damage in a fight that not a damn one of them wanted to have any part of. I gave it a lot of thought and what I came up with is what I'm going to call my 10 commandments or 10 tips for advocacy with minimal risk. So here we go. Tip number one. <laughs> Did I forget to mention that I like playing with sound effects? Okay, so rule number one is it isn't always about you. I know that I spent the first few minutes of this podcast talking about me, but I'm trying very hard not to make my advocacy all about me. Yeah, I get it. You probably got screwed by this system, and I did too. But then again, so has pretty much everyone else who's been touched by our dysfunctional judicial system. The key here is to let your experience inform and shape your advocacy and infuse your message with a little bit of credibility. But don't make it a holy crusade to fix your particular problem. Let's move on to number two. Focus your message on your target market. Your objective should not be to preach to the converted, but to convince the undecided. And in order to do that, you've got to find some common ground for discussion and potential agreement with people who are sometimes outside your comfort zone. Picking social media fights with people who are absolutely against you is a terrible waste of your valuable time and resources. There are only so many hours in each day that you can spend doing this. An hour that you spend in a flame war with some pinhead who will never see things your way could probably be better spent engaging with a handful of people who are willing to see things your way. Focus also means looking for the most efficient expenditures of your energy. You know, if you're marching up and down the street with a protest sign, that probably isn't very effective or very safe. Writing a letter to your congressman? That's better. Donating time or money to an organization that is working on your behalf, furthering this cause, that's great. That brings us to number three. Number three is don't allow yourself to become indifferent to evil. It's incredibly easy to fall into that trap of relative morality or, or saying, what about this? What about that? A lot of people just unthinkingly justify themselves by accepting or minimizing the immoral or illegal actions of others. It's a very human thing to do. Other people feel better about themselves if they can condemn or persecute someone that they consider even more despicable than they are. The world is confusing and complicated enough without all of this dissembling. Pointing out that rape or sexual assault is evil, even if you happen to be a sex offender, is not hypocrisy. It's simply stating the truth, and anyone who tries to undermine that truth by personally attacking you or accusing you of hypocrisy is being disingenuous. So don't be afraid to point out evil when you see it. That brings us to number four. Rule number four is never get suckered into being portrayed as someone who wants to abolish sex crimes altogether. Nobody wants that. No one. Those laws exist for a damn good reason. They serve to protect society. Unfortunately, 
Some people will try to use a straw man argument and make it sound as if you are advocating for anarchy, for a society that has no laws against sexual assault. Our position should unequivocally be that sex crimes are indeed a serious problem. But it's a problem that cannot be solved through mass incarceration, shaming, humiliation, banishment, unemployment, forced homelessness, or vigilantism. Number 5. You should never lower yourself to the same level of vitriol as the haters. When you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. You know, when you use the logic of your opponents, you use their tactics, you're validating their position and their techniques. If you want to put all false accusers on a registry to be humiliated and persecuted, then you're accepting that wrong-headed notion that registries actually accomplish anything. If you think that people pressing for longer terms of incarceration should spend a year in jail themselves just to learn what it's like, well, you're just as bad as they are. Number six. Number six is avoid the no-win argument. Getting into a no-win argument with someone who is totally incapable or unwilling to use reason is a losing proposition for everyone concerned. A person who is spewing hatred and duplicity at you is never going to suddenly smack himself in the forehead and say, wow, you know what? You're absolutely right. I am a moron. Thank you for setting me straight. It's not going to happen except maybe in your dreams. Far more likely is the possibility that this nitwit will try to track you down and try to make your life miserable. Block and move on to something productive and less emotionally draining. Seven. Keep your privileged information privileged. Abstain from publishing your home address, phone number, employer identification, or any other critical information that could be used to identify, harass, or harm you or your family, even your friends and employer. It's bad enough when you're a registrant that the government is already publicly publishing all of this stuff about you. You shouldn't be making matters even worse by putting it out there yourself. Yes, people may be curious about you, but their curiosity doesn't give them the right to know personal details that might put you or your family at risk. Even your friends and allies could someday become adversaries, and so you want to keep a very tight rein on your personal information. Get used to asking, why do you want to know? Believe it or not, there is no constitutional right to be nosy. Eight. Rule number eight is victims of sexual assault absolutely deserve to be treated with respect. So treat them that way. In fact, many registrants themselves were victims of childhood sexual assault, and a broken judicial system victimizes practically everyone it touches. Registry reform does not require that we polarize ourselves into opposing camps. We all want the same things. We all want safer communities, less sexual abuse, better investigative tools, rehabilitated offenders, rational laws and sentencing, and we all want greater respect for everyone's constitutional rights. Focus on the commonalities, not the differences. The only way we can accomplish anything is to work together, not against one another. Nine. Number nine is don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. 
It's easy to grouse about how bad things are, but what are you actually doing about the situation? If you think simply liking stuff on social media is going to bring about meaningful change in our society, you're seriously deluding yourself. Change always involves risk, and it's almost always painful. It's up to you to decide how much risk is acceptable and where your pain tolerance lies. If you haven't volunteered your talents or donated even a small amount of cash to the cause, then you're probably as much a part of the problem as the uninformed and apathetic public. Number 10 is keep your advocacy focused on the betterment of society as a whole. Not just a better world for former sex offenders. We aren't advocating for constitutional rights for sex offenders. We are advocating for constitutional rights for everyone. Registrants are simply the canary in the coal mine, bringing to light the kinds of legislative and prosecutorial overreach that should be worrisome to anyone who believes in the Constitution. We're not looking for a free pass. We just want a system that is fair and does what it is supposed to do, which is keep our communities safer. And so there you have it, my 10 tips on how to advocate for registry reform with minimal risk to you, your family, your friends, and your employer. I hope you have found this podcast to be useful and interesting, and I hope that you will recommend it to your friends or anyone who is interested in standing up for the constitutional rights of registrants everywhere. Remember to follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is Registry Report. And check out our website at registryreport.org.